What's going on, family? What's going on? What's going down? What's shaking? Welcome to Jonathan Souls Podcast. This is Jonathan Souls speaking with you now. I got the honor and privilege of talking to uh, one, two, three, four, five tremendous artists. Uh, they are uh, giving us some insight into a, uh, a terrific exhibition that's going to happen in New York City, November 4th through the 25th, I believe. Uh, it's going to be yes. down at the, uh, now, if I jack this name up, please forgive me, uh, Medela Gallery. Is that right? Medialia Gallery. That's what I said. Medialia Gallery. <laughs> you sure did. You sure did. <laughs> uh, that's going to be at uh, 335 West 38th Street and uh, fourth floor in New York City. And uh, so right now we're going to uh, give you guys a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, a summary of what the, the premise is, what the intent is behind this gallery. Uh, so my dear sister, on Jenna, can you talk to us about uh, what the uh, gallery uh, exhibition is all about? Sure. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, and Tara, please jump in at any point. So the theme of the toy show is aim, destroy, transform, play for change. And we've asked toy makers and artists to take aim and destroy some ism, whatever's on their mind, what keeps them up at night, what's the conversation they're having with their kids about the current state of politics or just world affairs. And, um, and, and, and various artists have submitted, some have submitted independent toys from their own independent toy line. Others have uh, customized existing toys and some have submitted board games. Um, that they've made, like one in particular is called Colored, and it's uh, it's uh, it's a game based on, I guess, racism and some of the issues, and it's, it was made by uh, Brandon. Rumsick Brandon Jr. Thank you. Thank you, Tara. Rumsick Brandon Jr. When? Do you know when it was made? Um, it was made in the 60s. I think I want to say wow. 66, but it could be off. With yeah. That. Yeah. yeah and, her, and his daughter is Barbara Brandon Croft, and they're the only... Um, father-daughter comic duo okay so so she's submitting that game and it's a game you can play that you can't win so yeah so that you know everyone has you know their their pieces and they'll speak to them and um and, and we have a i think a nice representation on on the call so excellent tara? excellent tara go ahead and kind of tell us about what you're bringing uh to the exhibition and, and just uh, expound on it a little bit well, I'm mostly the, the host of the exhibition space, and I'm really excited and honored to be working with so many incredibly talented artists um, and working with Anjana, who is an incredible organizer, um, and just bringing my love of, of play, uh, of comics in particular, um, and connecting with artists who are interested in working in different um, media platforms. Um, and so, for example... Andre, who we have on the podcast with us tonight, is uh, a comic artist. He's a cartoonist um, and is bringing his interest to, to, to the gaming world, which is really fun. Um, and Machindo as well is a, a 2D artist primarily that I know of and an animator um, and is bringing that to a 3D um, place. I'm really excited about that, um, and I'm excited to have Rodney back. He was in our first toy exhibit that we had in 2015, um, and he's bringing his Rocco um, toy to, to the gallery again. So thank you for that. So just so I'm clear, y'all trying to use toys to make a, a statement, like, culturally. That's the, that's the premise? 
yeah, toys are essential for us um, both in childhood and adulthood. And so much of toys exist in this sort of whitewashed monoculture, not sort of, but a whitewashed monoculture, um, whether we're looking at heroes and characters that have existed and have been replicated over time as we're looking at um, decades upon decades of, of white characters. Um, and we're looking to, to look beyond that um, and bring that into the forefront of people's minds um, as they shop for themselves, shop for their kids. Um, yeah. So, so here's the thing. Um, Jenna, why are you why are you trying to politicize toys? You, you, you know what I'm saying? Why are you trying to mix? I mean, what's wrong with a white Barbie? You, you know what I'm saying? What's wrong with you know all the characters? It's just toys. I mean, why you got to put you know some overhead on top of toys? I mean, what are you trying to say well, that a, a, a white toy in the hands of a black child it, it, it has some type of effect? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm just saying we should just have a choice. And and when you erase us from toys, it's already political. Mm-hmm. So so we're reinserting ourselves, choice, having many choices. Yes. You know the, the the thing that's so crazy is sometimes I think not being represented is worse than being represented falsely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's 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 self because you don't even realize it. Sometimes you kind of accept that you're not there and don't even realize it, and it's very damaging. You don't even, you can't even address it. At least if it's there, you can argue against it or come with something, you know, inspired to do something yourself. No. So are y'all going to have brat dolls in the exhibition? Is that, is that what's happening? Because no. <laughs> I brought my girls brat dolls and it was like the thing, you know what I mean? It's like, I got big eyes like me, daddy. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Y'all got brat dolls. Is that, was that what's happening? No, but we, the what? one of the sets we actually have <laughs> is um, uh, Lottie dolls. Uh, they actually, one of the things that they specifically designed to do is they designed their toys around, or their dolls around a nine-year-old body. Hmm. And it's, like, it's such a fundamental thing. You think the, a young toy, a doll, should look like a kid, and a lot yeah. of them don't, hence Barbie or whatever. So. <laughs> That's true. That's right, true. right, and all that politicized but i did want to say that who, who is this, actually, who's talking right now this is brother machine this is brother machine go ahead brother uh-huh. um i've looked at a lot of imagery and imagery is automatically politicized in this society mm-hmm. it's automatic and that's everything mm-hmm. food is mm-hmm. political the way we dress is political where we spend our money and I actually think in regards of a lot of the content that I view, since I'm so keen to symbols, since that makes up the body of how I use my work, because the human brain is sensitive to symbology. That's why it's mm-hmm. everywhere. That's why advertisers use it. And I would prefer that you don't show me instead of showing me badly. Mm. That, that's my mm. opinion. Because when I look at manga, my absence doesn't necessarily bother me as much as my presence and then being uh, racialized or minimized or giving these uh, these characteristics that causes the populace in real life to treat me like the portrayed persona. And I'm telling, trying to tell creative people that they have so much power in their hands that they might actually be parties to the crime of the death of black people by carrying the narrative through the innocent things like toys. Hmm. Mm. 
preach. Okay. I, I, I would have to second second Machindo's motion. Who um, is this? I, this is uh, Rodney Jackson. Go ahead, Rodney. Go ahead, um, brother. I I I would have to I have to have to agree with that. Um, I I think uh, not having a presence is is, is better than um, having um, an Aunt Jemima doll in 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 the store next to Barbie um, or mm-hmm. having uh, uh, a black jockey next to G.I. Joe. <laughs> I, I, would have to say that, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have to say that I agree. I, I, I was actually born in England, and um, when I was there uh, uh, as a child, um, there was this uh, Gollywog logo on mm. the Golden Shred Marmalade, uh, which was like... Uh, you know, it's an orange jam, basically, and it's called Golden Shred, and it had a picture of a gollywog with a, uh, it's basically a blackface character. Okay, uh, I was about to say, man, of... where, where Google at? Where's, where, what, gollywog? What? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's a character from the uh, English uh, lexicon that, that uh, has African roots, it's a, um, uh, but it is a characterization, and so... Um, since I was like one of the only black people in my community, people just naturally called me Gollywog. And it wasn't even like they were trying to disrespect me. It was just like they didn't know what else to call me because that's the only representation that there was. So wow. I have to agree with Brother Machendo. Wow. Andre, can you chime in, brother? What's your, what's your feelings on this whole thing about uh, representation? Is it better to have, you know, quote unquote, diversity? And maybe you might, you know, might have a little distorted kind of image or better to have none at all. Um, if you can't represent me right, don't represent me at all. Is mm. my point of view. So some people get happy just to be recognized. And uh, I don't need to be appeased. I need to be pleased. So uh, display me correctly. That's mm. my point of view. So in this uh, show, you know, the onus is on us, obviously, to, to portray ourselves correctly. Uh, yes. Let's see here. So, Andre, uh, what, what, what are you yes. bringing to the table in terms of this uh, exhibition? Um, hopefully I'm going to make you laugh. Hopefully I'll get a couple of people mad and uh, <laughs> get, them, get them thinking as well. That's uh, more or less how I uh, go about all of my artwork. Uh, my mode, once uh, I was told about the show, the idea of just showing uh, Donald Trump in instead of blackface, I call him orange face, just mm-hmm. to be able to put him out there as a clown that he is. And I just found a way, toy wise, to hopefully bring that out to the masses. Okay, is it okay to to tell what the image is, or they gotta wait till they get there? Um, well, the image is out there, so I guess uh, my explanation would be, you know. Um, more or less uh, Donald Trump as the game operation. Make uh-huh. uh, it, you know, any side. If you remember playing that game as a kid, any time you touched any kind of side, it got some kind of buzz. There was no way to actually uh, fully get the piece out easily. Mm-hmm. And with Trump, to me, he's just always causing a buzz, always lying, nose always lighting <laughs> up. So for me, it was just uh, it was just simple. It just came to me right in the moment of conversation and. You know, the next thing was just trying to pull it off. And yeah, you know, creative. So just to correct me if I'm wrong, but with this game, Trump being the, the guy on the operating table, if you touch the sides, yes. he'll tweet. 
Uh, well, he got tweeted France. <laughs> exactly. It was one of the things. That's the way it's going to work. Ah, that's he's like, he's that's hilarious. So, that's on the game already. So, you know yes, what's, you know what's jacked up? I'm not going to cuss because ladies on the line. You know what's jacked up? The next presidential candidate going to be Snapchatting. The next one is going to be on World Star. I mean, the bar is being set so low. You follow me? That's well, because he, the bar was set so high by a man yeah. whose skin is brown. Right. And it yeah. threw the country's sense of itself off. And mm-hmm. it shows how deeply woven the breach is. Hmm. Because even though the president, Obama was the president who was like many other presidents, he Mm-hmm. Drone attacks and all of that. Yep. But there's a level of poise in some of the other things that he did, because they're all going to kill innocent people. Yeah. Right. We need to get yeah. that straight. Right. However, True. there are things that politics can do for the body politic mm-hmm. that could actually be positive. And what that brother's presence did hurt the country because it felt like it was losing its power which is the power to destroy, because mm. that's not supposed to happen in a lot of people's minds. It's his ascent. Now, he's the only president that I know of in the 20th century that the entire world celebrated. That's true. Yeah. You'd have thought Jesus came back. See, but, but Trump also, came behind that it, with his, excuse me, real quick, with his ego, and yeah. that hurt him. And I think Trump, I don't really look at Trump I look at Trump as a symbol of something. Right. Trump is a symbol of white male old money and white male old control. And mm-hmm. you can see how destructive, how negative, how lack, how, how non-empathetic or unempathetic they are. Mm. But I also, I also see Trump as uh, continuing the American tradition of erasing the merits and positive pieces that uh, blacks have put into anything. Cause as soon as he comes in, now he's trying to erase all of the positives and steps that Obama placed. Uh, so it's just the American way of erasing blacks from history. So if he can erase all of these steps that Obama has created, you know, tradition, the mm. American way. Rodney, what a... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Rodney, what, what kind of uh, uh, sculpture or toy are you bringing to the uh, gallery? And then we can spin off on Trump some more. Um, uh, the, 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 the toy that's in the exhibition, um, uh, I think there's two. W- one of them is an Obot, which is part of um, uh, Anjana's uh, brand of Obots. Um, and I did a customized version of one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have uh, an original character, which is by the name of <clears throat> Rocco Rocket, which is from a, a, uh, an award-winning children's book that I illustrated, um, if, if I can toot my own horn a little bit. Definitely. Um, and uh, it's a story about a little boy who basically wants to be a rocket scientist and... Um, he sets this high goal and um, overcomes obstacles in order to, to reach his goal. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Now, this Obot, I looked at it, and the form factor kind of remind me of like a, a bobblehead almost. Is that the idea behind it, uh, uh, Angina? 
she's there. It, I mean, it's definitely the it's the chibi, right? The, the, with the big heads and the like, kind of toddler like. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it yeah. definitely has that. I don't know if that was deliberate. It just ended up being. It just felt right when um, both myself and Gray Williamson he helped me designed it. We co-designed it. So. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I gotta tell you, I wish I know y'all heard this before, but I wish they had these toys out when I was small. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, all the toys in there look like the Senate. It was all white. You know what I mean? This is like white Batman, white <laughs> Superman, white Robin, white G.I. Joe. I had the six million dollar man. You know what I mean? <laughs> but again, he was white. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. You have to, you have to, you have to roll the skin on the arm back. I remember that. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. But, uh, but those little symbols. Just to tell you how powerful symbols are, uh, I think it was uh, Andre that mentioned the uh, lawn jockey. Uh, no, no, no uh, Rodney. Yeah. Do Rodney. y'all remember this magazine called Emerge? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Do y'all yes. remember when the whole controversy with Clarence Thomas was happening? They had this epic cover. I remember I was in like sophomore year of college or something. I think it was. And uh, they had uh, a lawn jockey on the cover. But it was uh, Clarence Thomas's face. Do y'all remember that? I think I have it on my um, <laughs> on my shelf, <laughs> my library. Wow! In our culture, I know. that's like the coldest image you can have of somebody, it, especially during that period. You couldn't get no colder than that. It just shows you how powerful yeah. images are. That's funny. Right. I, I know. Right. I, I did right. like one or two. I did like artwork for like the first two issues of Emerge when they came out back in the day, but wow. I actually don't remember that cover. I'd love to see that. Yeah, man, that was I that did. was. I looked at that cover and I didn't even cuss back then. I said, "God damn!" Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, about enough America if they did that to me. God damn! All right, uh, man. So there's, I, there's actually uh, one positive caveat to the lawn jockey. Uh, during my research, I've been studying this, this iconography, um, whether positive or negative. But the lawn jockey, jockey uh, actually uh, that did serve a positive purpose during the uh, underground slave, uh, un- underground railroad, um, yeah. in that they used to tie mm-hmm. a ribbon on there to to, to indicate a safe house. Um, and so the the lawn jockey actually uh, did serve a positive uh, role during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, it does have uh, also has negative connotations. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> no, no, actually, I haven't researched it, so I'm kind of hesitant to share the story. But y'all are probably familiar with Elder Dick Gregory. He recently passed, and oh, yeah. uh, he kind of told a story about the this origin of like this lawn jockey image. It was something to the effect of, you know, an early, you know, American, uh, you know, history before we broke away from England. Um, You know, there was a concern about the British sneaking up on somebody. So this African, you know, African person, whatever, was like, okay, I'll I'll stand on the hill and I hold up a lantern, you know, if I see Mm -hmm. the British coming or whatever. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, he was, you know, he related to uh, he was talking to George Washington, I believe, is how the story goes. And so long story short, he stayed up there holding a lantern so they could see that, you know, that it was supposed to be an attack coming, but he froze to death. And it was a, it was a youngster, right? He froze to death. And so that's, that's the story that Dick Gregory tells about this, this long jockey, uh, 
you know, uh-huh. image. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's true or not, uh-huh. but it's interesting. Now, yeah, um, yeah. Michendo, what what kind of yeah. uh, images or toys are you bringing? Because you mostly are painters, as I recall, the last conversation we have. You doing 3D now? Yes, yes. Well, actually, I'm, I'm painting some of Gray Williamson's 3D work. I'm going to be painting uh, an Obama bus, and I'm doing uh-huh. it with symbolic color, okay. you know, and texture. Um, and when I'm done, and when you see it, you'll see exactly what I mean by that. But I'm also taking some line art from the Obots, uh, from a Genesis uh, Obot um, uh, um, mix, and, and creating some images of my own characters and some other things that will have a, uh, will induce, you know, feelings of our majesty which I think is also symbolic. And I use my work as, as you know, since we had spoke before to remind us of our greatness because we, we at times get so far away from what is great about us because we've been constantly uh, berated, you know, that art becomes this powerful binder like music. Because when we hear Whitney Houston sing, when we listen to John Coltrane, we know we are great because those uh, uh, those omnipresent sounds reminds us of that, and I think that art is necessary in doing that symbology symbology for people, you know. So I'd be bringing that kind of work to the to the gallery. You, you know, know what my problem with you is, Michelle. You know what my problem is with you, brother. You have the posture that the artist has a responsibility to their community. That's that's my problem with you, man. That's not a laissez-faire type vibration machine, though. Why are you why are you coming at us like that, man? You act like the well, artist know. is supposed to shepherd, is supposed to guide, is supposed to influence the community, you understand, in a positive direction. Is that what an artist is supposed to do, man? Well, I'll say it to you this way. It's artists that's leading the society to hell, if you think about it. Because mm. the other side employs nothing but the best artists to coerce our minds against our own best interests. Mm. I'm only the response to it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hey, man, I bet. You don't think all the commercials and all the art and all the movies, all of that is art coercing our minds. I think they're guilty of, of destruction, and they'll have to pay for that when they meet their maker. In the end, I want to leave this place with a legacy that I can go through the transfer membrane guilt-free. Mm. So that when I look my ancestors in their faces, they can say, well, let him through because he don't got guilt on his heart. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't turn on his people for money. Mm. Rodney, you agree with that, man? You feel like the artist has responsibility to the community? Can't they just create whatever they want and just let it be? Um, they can. <laughs> um, uh, purposeful creation does not have limitation. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think um, when you look at art in the context of history, it, there's a dialogue taking place. And mm-hmm. uh, whether you are, an, as an artist, whether you're a uh, actively involved in that dialogue or not, um, you are making a statement. And so uh, at the end of the day, the artist has to answer, well, what statement am I making? 
mm-hmm. or lack thereof. And um, I would have to, again, agree with Brother Machindo that uh, me personally, I feel as though I have a responsibility to uh, create the type of artwork that is in my own best interest and in the, the, the best interest of, of my community. <clears throat> Andre, mm-hmm. help me out, brother. They, they're ganging up on me, man. They're they telling me that the artist, <laughs> the artist well, is supposed well, to, to, to provide some type of guidance, some kind of positive reinforcement that the, the, the artist is an expression of a community's, I don't know, survival instinct. Do you believe that, man? I mean, come on. Well, well, if if they're killing you, then I'm gonna hit you with a knockout punch. Because <laughs> uh, I I I agree with them totally. I mean, I would never tell another artist what to create if it's not in their <clears throat> DNA to create something to show their love for their people. Then I don't want them creating anything because it's not going to be anything realistic or something that's going to be compassionate enough to hit you where you want to hit your people with. But when I wake up, it's about creating something that is uh, definitely going to hopefully hit you in the face. I have no problem with being direct because if they're going to be direct, you can't come soft toe with it. you got to come direct also. Right. So uh, your artwork, to me, for me, has to say something. Um, I want to be involved with people who want to say something. And hopefully what they're saying is positive, uplifting, and uh, enlightening to somebody if not everybody at least hopefully we get one or two people to uh you know turn them around if they're going the wrong way and hopefully point them creatively in the right direction i need a voice of reason right now uh, uh, <laughs> on gina tyra can you help me out here these gentlemen are telling me that they have a responsibility to black people in america to kind of inspire them to kind of you know influence them in a certain direction. Is that, is that, is that true in y'all estimation? I think it's a calling that a lot of people rise to. Um, so the board game that Onjena mentioned before, Cullen, by Brumzik Brandon Jr., he was a cartoonist who could do nothing but respond to, the, to what was going on historically in the community. He, he owned that for his entire career and made that his career to be a political cartoonist and then also was a nationally syndicated um, cartoonist of like a kid's, like a kid's cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had to, that was, that was his calling and he made a living from that. So I think it's a choice that people have. And I think that it often comes up that um, you have to respond through your art to what's yeah. happening. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. You mentioned the political cartoons I mean, there are countries on the planet where you could get locked up for drawing the wrong kind of images. You could get and you know, death one threats of them. for wrong kind of images. I was going to say this. This is one of them. <laughs> How yeah. you figure? This is one of them. Um, Mr. Brandon's mentor um, or his one of his greatest influences was Ali Harrington, who was a political cartoonist who came out of the Harlem Renaissance, who was targeted by the FBI and who went into exile in France. Um, in the 50s and was best friends with Richard Wright when he died slash was killed, depending on your perspective. Mm-hmm. But um, there is very much like a legacy of cartoonists in this country who have been silenced for various reasons. There's a lot more freedom here, but there's definitely targeting that happens undoubtedly. So, yeah. so you're saying that, that expression, you know, the expressions that y'all have chosen for your art, 
could not be without consequences, what you're saying. Without context. I don't think. Without right. consequences. Because I was going to say, we can't do anything without consequence. Everything has a consequence. Mm -hmm. But it's just that, mm -hmm. you know, training yourself to accept your trajectory and its consequences. See, I know what my consequences are by kind of being outside of everything. Mm -hmm. It gets lonely out there. But that's okay because that makes my relationship with my creator stronger so that the material carrot that they constantly float over us mm -hmm. to move us like a mule, I have no interest in it. And mm -hmm. to me, that's power because what I not only want the visibility, but I want power, I want ownership and control. Mm -hmm. That is what we are lacking. That's why the brothers are being treated like slaves in the NFL, yep. because they don't own anything. Mm -hmm. And the owners are kind of showing them that, calling them inmates and things like that. And I know some of the brothers are now a little bit shocked that mm -hmm. in an 80% black sport, the 90% of the owners have no sensitivity with the other part of the players' lives that seems to be ridiculous to me. Right. And you took because he serves you. There is such a conflict of interest there. And I think we need to start boycotting with what we bankrupt. We could bankrupt everything in this society by just not buying it. But we need to grow into that strong point because I'd like to see the NFL player, I mean, um, the owners on their behind, you know, some boycotts and some lack of patronage to humble them. That's power. And they can be humble. You know what would be dope? What would be dope is the revigoration, uh, uh, recreation of the Negro League. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it, what the NFL owners are showing the players is that there's a difference between money and power. Because mm. all of these players got a lot of money. A lot of yep. money, which they probably burned through, but they got a lot of money. The owners, just like Machindo mentioned, you know, they have power. Now, the players could have power if they were to walk away. Because I'm yeah. not sure, yeah. you know, how a whole bunch of white players on the field would, would affect ticket sales, but I'm sure it would be a drop. But, you know, unless you act <laughs> in mass, you know what I mean, you, you yeah. won't realize that. So, yeah, so that's why ownership is important. And uh, I think that one of the biggest things that we can own is our images. And that's why what y'all are doing is so important. You know, uh, black toys, you know, black cultural concepts in toys and board games. That is very, very important. Um, I don't want to keep y'all uh, all night, but um, uh, Tara, can you just give us like uh, the address, when the uh, art exhibit is going to happen and any other details you'd like to share? Yeah, so thank you so much for having us on, Jonathan. I really to mm -hmm. totally appreciate it um, and giving us the spotlight. The gallery is medialiagallery.com. You can find us online. Um, the address is 335 West 38th Street. It's on the fourth floor between 8th and 9th Avenues in New York City. Uh, we're very, very close to Times Square. There's many trains that come over here, so anybody who's in the area, please feel free to come by. The reception is going to be from 3 to 6 next Saturday, which is November 4th. 
And the show will be running until November 28th. 28th. Is it the 28th okay. or the 25th? 25th. I can't remember. It might be the 25th. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, spell, uh, spell, we, spell uh, media gallery. La, 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 la. Yeah, I got you. Media <laughs> gallery. M E D I A L I A. So media. M E D I A L I A. It means metal in old Latin. Uh, we have also hundreds of sculpture you can touch. Uh, um, and we have a couple other exhibition spaces, so there we have a lot going on in the gallery. Please, yeah, please come visit us if you're ever in New York. That's beautiful. Oh, That's beautiful. Tara, Ongina, uh, Andre, Rodney, Mishindo, thank you very much for appearing on Jonathan Soul. I appreciate it, and I hope you guys get the kind of reception that you're looking for at the exhibit. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank we, you. We really appreciate the work that you do on behalf of us because you are a form of media that's necessary and we appreciate love you for that.